Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Dan Boss. If I have not met you, hello. I'm one of the, the leaders and the pastors here, and uh, I'm going to be preaching God's Word to you this morning. I'm looking forward to uh, opening uh, Scripture with you and diving into um, wisdom. That's what we're going to be talking about today. I don't know how I got put in this position, but uh, maybe it's because I have gray hair. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> But we have, uh, this week, um, some of uh, the leadership here have been meeting together, talking about the future of our church, and it's given us a chance to kind of like look back on the past five and a half years of the life of our church, and I've just been struck by God's faithfulness and provision to our church in so many ways. It's so cool to like think back to when we started, and like, how are we going to do certain things, where would we meet, and like, people stepping up, and in leading different areas of ministry, I've just been struck by God's faithfulness to our church and providing in so many different ways, and it's so cool to be a part of this. Like, personally, for me, this church has been a huge blessing, just like pushing me towards the Lord and uh, challenging me in certain ways, and um, you know, we say every Sunday that we're a church family on mission with Jesus, and uh, working with Obed and Jeremy and some of the other leadership here, I've just been really like thankful for these guys, they're actually trying to do that. We're trying to live this life and this church, you know, leading this church um, truly from our hearts, trying to live on mission with Jesus. It's not just like something we say. It's, a, it's actually what we're trying to do um, in this church. So, um, well, we just wrapped up our, our season in the book of Jonah for about the past month and a half. We've been looking at that story, and it's a wild story, um, but it was so cool last week to hear from several of you on like what has been impactful from that book and how it applies to your life and stuff you're going through. It struck me in how much that book just really does apply to our, our current day and age, um, and we are going to continue our, uh, our journey through the Old Testament this morning. I kind of like spending time in the Old Testament. I think we as as believers in the 21st century tend to like favor the New Testament and like read the Gospels, the words of Jesus, and those, those are great, but I think it, it really does a, the church a disservice if we never really spend much time in some of these lesser-known books of the Bible. Um, Jonah, Jonah was interesting in certain ways, and before that, Ecclesiastes was um, really helpful in just kind of like helping us think broadly about what God perceives in our world as, as good and right, how we're going to live with those things in mind. Um, but this morning, and uh, for the next couple months, we're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs. Um, this is part of the Bible that's called, like a whole section, it's called the wisdom literature. Um, there's a, a quote here I want to read from Graham Goldsworthy that summarizes what this section of the Bible is all about. Wisdom literature, he says, complements the perspective of salvation history, and it offers us a theology of the redeemed man living in the world under God's rule. Wisdom literature may not provide us with like a doctrine of how to be reconciled to God and how to be saved, um, but it shows us how to live our lives as followers of God. It shows us how to live our lives well how to take the gift of life that we've been given and how to be most fruitful and happy with it. Basically, the book of Proverbs is all about teaching us how to live a good life. 
Roland Murphy states, um, the real intent of such literature is to train a person to form character, to show what life is really like, and how best to cope with it. I kind of chuckled when I read that, just like coping with life, but that's really, I mean, there are certain times in life where we're just coping with life, you know? Um, Wisdom literature consists of the books of Ecclesiastes, Job, and Proverbs. And the Bible Project, Bible Project did a little summary video on this uh, wisdom literature, and I thought it was actually really helpful and kind of funny. Uh, Proverbs is like a brilliant young teacher. Ecclesiastes is like a sharp middle-aged critic. I don't know if you remember that when we studied Ecclesiastes together. We definitely felt the, the critique <laughs> of life. And Job is like a weathered old man who's seen a lot in his day. So this morning, we're going to be looking into Proverbs, the brilliant young teacher, and what he has to say to us. And just a reminder that this wisdom literature, this part of the Bible, is part of the whole kind of counsel of God, that he's given us this part of the the Bible um, to to give us patterns of the good life, offering lessons in discretion, purity, industry, hard work, justice, leadership, and controlling the tongue. These are some of the issues we're going to kind of dive into the rest of the, the summer here. And if we, as your church, fail to preach these things, kind of skip over the Old Testament wisdom literature or, or Proverbs, we really fail to teach the whole counsel of God to you. So if we find ourselves like really emphasizing one portion of Scripture without ever touching on the other, we're really missing out on what God wants for us as a church and as his people. So just to give you guys, um, as we start, kind of some overview of the book of Proverbs. Um, We know the author, kind of the purpose, and the different sections of the book. The author is stated right at the very beginning, the first verse. Um, The contents are either written by or collected by King Solomon. And it says this in 1 Kings 4, 32, uh, 32 through 34, about Solomon. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. I'll say, as a songwriter, that's, that's like expert mode right there. He spoke of trees, from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of, uh, and of birds and reptiles and of fish, and the people of all nations that came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Different sections of Proverbs, like the first nine books uh, or chapters of Proverbs, are really kind of an introduction that's like laying a foundation um, for what the later part of the book is. So um, chapters 10 through 31 are kind of the actual Proverbs, like the the short little sayings that give us a snapshot of wisdom um, that we find... um, in the later chapters. And the the purpose of Proverbs really is found in the very beginning, the first chapter, uh, verses two through four. It says, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand the words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. That's a lot. It's like, who wants that? Everybody wants that. Proverbs is really centered around this idea of wisdom. 
And this is going to be the focus of this morning. Like, what is wisdom and how do we attain this? So the, the Hebrew word that is um, wisdom is called chokmah. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but chokmah is an attribute of God that is used to create the world. And we can also tap into this for our good life, and it, we can also work against it to destroy us, uh, which is what we refer to as foolishness. So what's really interesting here is that this, this, this uh, Hebrew word, chokmah, not only describes like intellectual head knowledge, but also like skill in what we do and with, with our hands, with our artisanship and creativity. It's like a skilled artisan that excels at their craft. This can also be wisdom. One scholar um, puts it this way. Um, she says, the underlying Hebrew words for wisdom and knowledge do not primarily refer to an academic or head knowledge. Um, the academic or head knowledge matters, for they describe the realities of daily living more than thinking. That's kind of a shift from what I usually think of when I think of uh, wisdom. What do you think of when I say the word wisdom? Usually we think of like a mature person, maybe your grandfather or grandmother, someone who's an old sage who has been through a lot of life, maybe, uh, maybe a parent or a grandparent, usually with gray hair. And uh, as I studied this week, as I thought about that in my own life, I usually think about wisdom in terms of like uh, just making good decisions in life. It's like someone who knows how to make a good decision in every part of their life, how to foresee the future. It's like someone playing chess, like an expert chess player who can see three or four moves in front of them and know exactly how to, how, how to win the game, basically. I think these are part of the biblical definition of wisdom, but it's not all that the Bible teaches us here. And to help clarify, I think it's important to nail down the differences between knowledge and wisdom. Like you can have lots of knowledge without wisdom, but you can't have wisdom without knowledge. We need to study to obtain wisdom, and we need to combine thought and experiences. And most of all, we need to ask God and study his word to obtain it. We think about it this way, knowledge is like knowing a lot of things, but wisdom is being able to discern that, um, discern those things with godly insight. So wisdom is discerning a lot of knowledge with godly insight. Um, Charles Spurgeon um, has a quote here that I think is right on. He says, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the more fools for what they know. There is no, so, there is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. <laughs> it's like a mic drop. I was a religious studies major in college. And I remember um, in my school, it was, not, it was kind of a Christian school, but kind of not. And I had a, several professors who were Bible professors um, but I'm pretty sure they had lost their way. I'm pretty sure they had lost their faith. They knew the Bible. They had studied like ancient writers and um, they'd studied the Bible even. But I would say that they were not wise. They'd studied the Bible, but they were not holding fast to God's truth in it. And in our world, I think wisdom still has a really positive 
um, connotation to it. Like it's something generally speaking, people really want to be wise. People want to be wise with their money. We hear that word a lot in our in our day and age, Um, which begs the question. So if that's the case, why isn't everyone in our world like running to wisdom? Why is it rare in our world to find wisdom? And I think the answer is found um, in, in chapter 1, verse 2. Next to the word wisdom is the word instruction. And that can also be translated as discipline. And that's not a super um, popular word in our, in our day and age. Um, it's hard work to get this kind of wisdom. The kind of wisdom that we're talking about here, it's about being disciplined or corrected And those are not super popular concepts in our world. C.S. Lewis says that the path of wisdom leads us through a valley. And that valley is called humiliation. We follow the way of Jesus through this valley, and it's a humble path. Um, Ray Ortland, who's a pastor, puts it this way. He says, wisdom is the gospel of Christ reshaping us for royalty. As God places us on the anvil... And we trust him enough to stay there until his work is done. All right, so that's my introduction into like what is wisdom, what is wisdom literature in the book of Proverbs. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna do a, a little bit different scripture reading this morning. I want to have you stand as we read portions from chapter one, chapter two, chapter eight, and chapter nine. So would you stand as we honor God's word this morning? The first reading is from uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands, obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then we're going to jump to chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. And then we're going to jump to chapter 8, and we'll be in verse 22 through 31. So chapter, chapter 8, verse 22. And this is the voice of wisdom speaking here. It says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old, Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. Were there, when there was no springs no, uh, abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. 
before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when I marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And then we're going to jump to chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of my wine, of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Would you pray as we uh, dive in here? Lord, we thank you for this morning, uh, for time to open your word. And Lord, we do thank you for the gift of wisdom. Um, We thank you that we can open your word and study and gain insight and wisdom. And we tell you this morning that we desire it. Um, Lord, would you give us wisdom even as we think and ponder who you are this morning. Um, Lord, would you speak through your Holy Spirit um, into our hearts that we might know you and love you more um, with every breath that we breathe. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You can go ahead and take a seat. So this morning I want to look at what is wisdom, and I want to look at kind of three different aspects of wisdom. Hopefully this will point us to living a, um, a wise life as we seek to follow Jesus. So the first point is wisdom comes from God. The second point is that wise people understand who they are. And the third point is that wisdom can be attained. So jumping into um, wisdom comes from God. Right from the start of chapter 1, we see the aim and the goal of the book of Proverbs. It's really, and we kind of touched on this already, it's really about finding the good life, finding happiness. We want to be happy, and that's kind of a common ground for all humanity. If you walk the streets of Pacific Beach or San Diego, people are looking for their own happiness, for the happiness of their family, for their loved ones. And you can find happiness in several different ways. You can find happiness in good and life-giving ways, or you can find happiness in evil and wrongdoing. Um, but I'll say wisdom is seeking happiness through good, um, through good ways. And this only happens in relationship to God. True and lasting fulfillment and happiness is found in a relationship with God and the grace that he gives Yes, there are good things in this world that we can enjoy, and they can bring a level of happiness to us, but ultimately, they will leave us lacking. Good food, relationships, um, service to each other are all good things, and they can bring us happiness, but will never completely fulfill us. Really, what we're talking about here is like a level of idolatry, like putting something 
that's created in front of the creator, God. So right in chapter 1, verse 7, we get this kind of the, I don't know, the, the theme of the whole book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we're going we're gonna to dive into kind of what this means in a few weeks. Um, I think Jeremy's preaching that sermon, so good luck with that. <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> but the fear of the Lord um, is a helpful thing for us to understand, like, what are we talking about here? And um, how does it relate to wisdom for us? It's the beginning of wisdom. So we need to understand, what are we talking about with fear of the Lord? I love how Tim Keller puts it. He says, Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's like the alphabet is to the beginning of reading. We need it. It's a starting place for us to have any intention of a relationship with God and therefore any true wisdom in our life. Um, It's not fear that we often think of when we talk about fearing something like, you know, my kids are afraid of the dark or something. Um, It's not dreading punishment Um, but coming before God in awe and in wonder. In wonder and awe of his goodness and coming before him with reverence for uh, having a rightly ordered understanding of who we are before a holy God. And this is where we need to start in order to get wisdom. Our journey needs to begin with God who is the creator of all wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, Jonathan and Daniel Aiken um, talk about this pervasive concept in the book of Proverbs. They say, Proverbs is quite clear that the way to get wisdom is to depend on God rather than yourself. We see this in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord, not on your own understanding. The everyday nitty-gritty details of your life are to be lived in the fear of God. There is no sacred and secular divide in your life. Solomon crushes that idea. The everyday decisions we make are to be done in the fear of the Lord. God is concerned with your whole life. Where does wisdom originate for us? I think true wisdom comes in and through that relationship with God and his word. And as Proverbs describes, um, the relationship and that fear that we have of the Lord seeps into like every nook and cranny of our life. Wisdom begins with God and is to be applied to every single port, uh, portion of our lives. And another really thing about like, the origin of wisdom is that um, it says it clearly in, in Proverbs 8, verse 22 through 23, that um, God created wisdom um, at the beginning. Along with the physical world, the, cre- the creation that we live in, um, the creatures... Um, the plants and animals, God created um, concepts and ideas and creativity and wisdom, music, architecture. The arts are all part of God's creation to us, and, and wisdom is a part of that. It was given to us in creation. So I want to read this portion of uh, Proverbs 8, 22 through 23. This is wisdom speaking. It says, The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works, Before his deeds of old, I was formed long ages ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. And when we go back to the creation narrative, we see uh, see this with Adam and Eve. They were told not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or they would die. So reading from Genesis 3, 
uh, verse 6. It says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband. So wisdom is a godly trait here, knowing good and evil and having a deeper understanding, but it was not God's intention. It was seeking wisdom in a broken relationship to God. It was seeking wisdom in disobedience to God. And that's the same for us. I think we want wisdom, but we don't necessarily want that relationship with God always. We want wisdom without the fear of the Lord. But we need to seek wisdom and understanding that is only by God, the creator of wisdom, that we will find it. Um, so moving on to our second point, point that um, wise people understand who they are. Again, Charles Spurgeon, um, another mic drop. One mark of a man's true wisdom is the knowledge of his own ignorance. Wise people understand their own need and their own brokenness, as well as their own place as God's redeemed children. So in a broken world, we need to understand our own predicament, our own limits um, and need for, for God and his wisdom and his salvation. Beginning with the fear of the Lord, we understand that we are not the measure of all things. A wise person understands their place before a holy God. This list that we see in, in Proverbs, instruction, learning, discernment, guidance, and repentance, all these words in the opening chapter of Proverbs points us to a place of humility, like receiving discernment and guidance. Repentance, that's a humble thing. And the second half of chapter 1 is titled, um, in, my, in my Bible, it was titled, Wisdom's Rebuke. What does that tell us? Well, we're in need of some help in order to receive wisdom. Um, chapter 1, um, we see wisdom personified and described by um, many scholars as Lady Wisdom. And we see this um, in verse 23. Uh, it says, Repent at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teaching. I don't know if you've ever received a rebuke from a friend, um, from a spouse maybe, if you're married, probably. Um, and hopefully that caused you to reflect and repent of something that maybe you had done without understanding. I think sometimes we need a rebuke in order to get the point across that we need to repent. Another way that wise people know who they are is that wise people are aware of their influences and surroundings. I don't know if you've ever seen this in your life, how a relationship in your life can affect you and affect how you, how you perceive things and how you live. That's the one thing that I found myself praying for with my own children, that they'd be wise with, their, um, with the company that they keep, with the friends they make. Because I know in my life, that was a huge influence. I remember having one friend in middle school who I started hanging out with, and we started kind of finding ourselves doing devious things. And, and my other friends took notice. I'm like, dude, you're, not, you're changing. You've, you've changed. I've, I kind of started talking and acting a different way. Um, it's just like one friend can really shape who you are. And we see the same concept in chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. And then 15 and 16, it says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. 
Let us ambush the innocent without reason. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from the paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. And I would also add this, not just our relationships with other people, but it's with the things that we listen to, we're entertained by, the shows we're watching, the podcasts we're listening to. These things either push us toward godly wisdom or away from it. And not to say that all our information and entertainment is bad. Um, Knowledge and learning are great things. Education is a gift. But don't mistake these things for wisdom. There's no wisdom without knowledge, but there's much knowledge without wisdom. You can know a lot about a lot of things and not have wisdom. And remember what we talked about earlier, godly wisdom is only obtained within that relationship with the Lord. One thing came to my mind, and maybe you're thinking of it too, but doesn't the Bible say God will use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise? Is this a contradiction? Well, 1 Corinthians, we read this. Um, Paul talks to the Corinthian church. He says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So Paul, I think, is making a distinction here between wisdom according to like worldly standards, according to the flesh, and how it's different from godly wisdom. He's saying to the Corinthians, you were lowly in the eyes of the world. You were uneducated and simple people, but God used this in you to shame the powerful of the world. God gave you faith um, in him, in your lowly position, in order to, to show his power through you. And this is a theme that I love throughout the Bible. And we see the same thing. I was just reading through Acts, um, and this jumped out to me. As Peter was preaching the word uh, to the crowd about Jesus, the priests and the Sadducees come to him. In Acts 4.13, it says this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I think that's the key right there. These men had been with Jesus. It's about that relationship with Jesus. It's not the knowledge or the education that gives Peter or John wisdom and power. They were not wise or knowledgeable according to the world, but they had spent time with Jesus. In my own life, I think back to like big decisions, big moments in my life, and it's easy to just want God to send a flash of revelation, just like a, a prophetic dream or something, an audible voice, um, show me which way to go, how to make this decision. But it's in those moments that I remember, I need to spend time with Jesus. Like Revelation comes in that relationship. God wants the seeking to happen. Uh, We need to spend time with Jesus to obtain the wisdom that he wants to give. Um, It's Jesus who Proverbs is describing in wisdom. And we belong to Jesus. We are united with him through faith, and he is who Proverbs is describing as a model of wisdom for us. Since Jesus 
empowers by his grace, even as he redeems by his grace, wise living is within reach for us. And that leads us to our last point, that wisdom can be found. If we seek wisdom with, fear, with the fear of God, it will be found. Um, like so much in our relationship with God, it's about the seeking that God desires in us. It's the earnest longing for what God um, has that he will honor. The faithfulness of prayer and seeking is doing the thing that God requires of us. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. When we humbly come and confess our need, uh, we, we will hear the words of wisdom coming back to us. We read this in chapter 2, uh, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. If you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. This is a promise of God that he's given to us. If you seek and search, you will understand and find the knowledge of God. Wisdom is something that you can attain. And it's God's desire to give it out to everyone. If we jump over to chapter 8, it, it's kind of cool. It gives us like a physical picture of wisdom calling out to us. Um, wisdom, personified here, says, Beside the gate leading to the city, at the entrance, she cries aloud, I raise my voice to all mankind. So wisdom is not some... Um, reserved thing for select saints or pious people. It's open to all who will listen. Wisdom calls out in a busy place, in a city market, a place where everyone passes by. The only prerequisite is that it must be that we must be open to listen and receive from God and his word. And as we looked at this earlier, it may not always be what you want to hear. Wisdom may come with a rebuke, a discipline, or an instruction. But that's the path that God wants us to travel to gain this wisdom. Throughout Scripture, we're called to simply ask in faith for wisdom. In James, the promise is that if we ask, God will give us, um, will give it generously. On James 1, uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 5 and 6. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask who... Uh, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed about by the wind. This passage from James has been helpful to me over the years. In my indecision and my doubt and my trying to discern God's path for me, my lack of trust, feeling you know, like I make a decision and I'm kind of second-guessing it. That, that second part of that verse is just so good. Definitely felt myself being like tossed and blown around by, by like a, a wave on the sea. Um, and we need to seek even in that um, tossing. We seek God even in the midst of that unknown. So one thing I wanted to do is wrap up with some kind of practical tips on like how do we, how do, we do this? How do we gain wisdom? John Piper laid these out in a sermon. I found them really helpful. The first is that we must desire it. We have to begin with a craving for this wisdom and go after it as if it were the most valuable thing. 
Proverbs 4, um, chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says, Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Cherish her. Cherish wisdom. And she will exalt you, embrace her, and she will honor you. So we need to desire it. The second thing is we need to meditate and study the Word of God. And not only the Word, but we need to read and study the best students of the Word for the past 2,000 years. There's a wealth of wisdom in the Word and in the saints of old who have lived with God. Um, one, one thing that's come up in my life in the last couple years is just somebody really pointed me to study God's Word with a, with a pen in hand. And that's like a super simple concept, but I don't know, for years it was like I just read, tried to remember and tried to retain, but it's like, it was, you know, revolutionary for me to just like write down my observations and my applications to my own life from God's word. Um, John Piper also talks about, you know, studying, um, studying other people who have followed Jesus for a long time. If you read 15 minutes a day, he says, if you calculate that out, and depending on how fast of a reader you are, the average is that in a year, you can read almost 4,000 pages. Think about how many books you could read with 4,000 pages. How to gain knowledge and wisdom this year by simply giving up 15 minutes of your day and reading some faithful saints. Number three, we need to pray because wisdom comes from the Lord. We already talked about this, but if we, if we want to know what wisdom is and we know that wisdom comes from God, we need to ask God to give it to us. Number four, this is kind of a weird one, but I think it's, it's true. We need to think of our death often. We need to understand that we are finite, that this keeps us in the, the fear of the Lord. Um, a couple days ago, I was, I was hiking with some, um, some other dads from our little league, um, and um, one of the dads works in hospice, like end-of-life care. And I was saying, man, it's actually kind of, kind of cool that you work with, you know, you work around death. Like, you're, you're coming to terms with, with death quite often in your, in your life. And he said, he's not, a, he's not a believer, but he said, yeah, it's actually kind of helps prioritize things in your life. Um, I don't think anybody would argue, but understanding that we want our life to be meaningful is what um, we would all agree on. And um, thinking of our death often will help us to, like Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. And lastly, number five, we need to come to Jesus in confession and repentance because Jesus is the truth and wisdom that Proverbs has told us about. He's wisdom of God embodied. If we long for wisdom, it cannot be found apart from Jesus. Solomon spoke of wisdom, but Jesus is the wisdom embodied. And that's what we're going to do this morning at the communion table. Um, following our time together in God's word, we're going to spend some time coming forward to receive communion. We're going to come boldly to the throne of grace with confidence, confessing our need and turning from our sin and the folly of our foolishness. As we kind of talked about earlier, uh, godly wisdom looks differently than worldly wisdom. The Bible contrasts wisdom and knowledge of this world to the foolishness of the gospel. The wisdom we are called to as Christians is Jesus. He is God's wisdom embodied and given to us. 
Solomon was Israel's wisest king, the author of Proverbs. And yet Jesus claimed of himself that one greater than Solomon is here, himself. It is foolishness in the eyes of the world, but it's true and everlasting wisdom. Deeper and truer than that that this world can know. Um, I just want to read this portion from uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has, God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Would you pray with me as we close? Lord, we thank you for creating wisdom, for creating a world that is full of order and beauty, creativity and wisdom. God, we thank you that our lives are to be full of awe and reverence and fear of you, and that through that, Lord, you would make us wise people, that we would know that our greatest and highest purpose and calling is to honor you and to live for your glory. Lord, would you teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to come to you, Jesus, in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we're going to come to the table this morning. We're going to come to Jesus to celebrate the sacrifice of Christ that he has paid for us to be reconciled. And the way that we do that here as we come forward after some time, we like to give you some time to just reflect, to to confess your sins, to ask God to show you the ways that you've fallen short, that you might confess and repent and turn from those things. Um, And then come forward to take the bread and the cup that represent the body and the blood of Christ. Um, At that time, we have a a couple folks in the back in the prayer team who would love to pray with you or for you um, if you desire that. Uh, Please take advantage of that. But uh, please take some time to silently confess your sin to God and then come forward and remember the sacrifice that was made for you. I'm going to read this portion from the Apostle Paul. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's spend some time together in silent confession and then come, um, come when you're ready.